Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Mediforman Labs second quarter 2021 conference call and webcast. I will now hand the call over to Keith Strong, Mediform Labs President and Interim CEO. Thanks, Operator, and good morning, everyone. With me on the call today are Greg Hunter, our CFO, and Chris Page, our new chairman. Before we begin, Please note the following caution respecting forward-looking statements, which is made on behalf of Medifarm Labs and all of its representatives on this call. The statements made on this call will contain forward-looking information that involves risks and uncertainties, including those introduced by the COVID-19 pandemic. Actual results could differ materially from a conclusion, forecast, or projection in the forward-looking information. Certain material factors or assumptions were applied in drawing a conclusion or making a forecast or projection as reflected in the forward-looking information. Additional information about the material factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from the conclusions, forecasts, or projections in the forward-looking information and the material factors or assumptions that were applied in drawing a conclusion or making a forecast or projection as reflected in the forward-looking information are contained in Medifarm Labs filings with the Canadian and Provincial Security Regulators, which are available on CDAR at their website, CDAR.com. Our second quarter was one of transformational growth in establishing ourselves as a true pharmaceutical company with expertise in cannabis. Today, I will speak to the advancements made in Q2, which were achieved in the context of ongoing Canadian domestic challenges offset by international growth. Greg will then discuss Q2 results, including areas where we saw growth, segments where we have opportunity to improve, and continued progress with right-sizing our inventory. We will then introduce our new board chair, Chris Taines, and I will close with final observations on executing on our business strategy. To start, I would like to provide more in-depth detail on our recent pharmaceutical licensing achievement, the way it grows our business, and our plan to capitalize on its unique status in the industry. From the outset, Medifarm's objective was to become a leading pharmaceutical company specializing in cannabis, taking charge in an emerging multi-billion dollar global pharmaceutical and medical cannabis market by providing multiple products and turnkey solutions to a broad customer base across multiple jurisdictions. A key part in becoming a pharmaceutical company is pharmaceutical licenses. And in Canada, that means a drug establishment license. A drug establishment license is a certification issued by Health Canada that a manufacturer maintains pharmaceutical good manufacturing practices, commonly referred to as GMP. It is done through an extensive review of a company's quality management system over several months, and then an in-person or virtual inspection 
spanning multiple weeks, a massive undertaking in comparison to our cannabis processing license issued in 2018. This license is awarded by the Health Canada Pharmaceutical Branch and is the exact same license as the one held by Fortune 500 multinational drug companies with operations in Canada. Pharmaceutical leaders like Eli Lilly, AbbVie, and Merck, just to name a few. Our drug establishment license allows Medifarm to manufacture any non-sterile drug in finished good or active pharmaceutical ingredient, API, format. Leaving many options as we start to see more complex formulas in drugs where cannabinoids are the API. We are the first and only company in North America to receive a pharmaceutical GMP certification, which includes commercial scale extraction of natural cannabinoids. Other pharma companies working with cannabis with GMP licenses from Health Canada or the US FDA are only held by those doing final product formulation or working with synthetic cannabinoids. Based on the current therapeutic evidence in natural cannabinoids and products such as FDA-approved Epidiolex, there's a large demand for naturally derived and pharmaceutical-approved cannabis API and finished goods. So what does this drug establishment license mean for Medifarm and its shareholders? To summarize, with this unique license, we can now access more markets globally where special access or OTC policies for cannabis are in place. We can now distribute cannabis API to pharmaceutical companies around the world, including the U.S., for use in both branded and generic drugs with marketing authorization. We can now provide finished dose manufacturing to pharmaceutical companies seeking to outsource their production of their cannabis-based drugs. We can now be a service provider to other large cannabis companies with aspirations to enter the pharmaceutical cannabis space or expand their international reach. And we can now support new clinical trials with GMP clinical trial material to further advance research of the benefits of cannabinoids and give many farm future manufacturing rights. These drug establishment licenses business attributes create near-term opportunity while also preparing the long-term opportunity to produce future cannabis-based, clinical-proven, FDA-registered, and approved drugs. This is a great development for Medifarm and our shareholders, and it means our outlook for growth as a specialist pharma company is bullish. Now turning to our second quarter results. Beyond the great advancements in our pharmaceutical strategy, Q2 saw growth in other areas, the most promising being international distribution. As a testament to the execution on our international contracts, we saw quarter-over-quarter growth of 24% in our international revenue. Now, with regulatory channels open, we expect to continue to be the leading private-label medical cannabis concentrate provider in new global markets. Like our industry-unique supply agreement with Stata, one of the EU's largest generic drug companies, Medifarm has many contracts and a full pipeline of future contracts for private-label medical cannabis products around the globe. Many of these 
being concentrated in the EU and LATAM. There is no shortage of demand for quality medical cannabis products from established companies with no interest in doing manufacturing themselves. The difficulty comes in the regulatory execution of delivering on these contracts. For example, in Brazil, you must register your product with Invisa, the Brazilian FDA, for sanitary authorization. This process can only be done with a lengthy product dossier to show quality, safety, and stability of the product. This process can take up to three months for approval following your manufacturing of pilot batches and six months for stability testing. Narcotic registrations in places like Germany and New Zealand follow similar processes with each country being unique. This is on top of the country-specific import and export process, which in the past year and a half has been subject to longer than normal processing times as global health regulators focus efforts on their COVID-19 pandemic response. In 2021, we have seen Health Canada export permits take anywhere from 30 to 60 calendar days after the receiving country issues an import permit. Medifarm masters this regulatory process with our staff who come with decades of experience in the international registration of pharmaceuticals. Now having worked with international partners for over 18 months, Medifarm's hard work is starting to result in steady growth of material international revenue. We are also establishing a cadence in permits ahead of international customer forecasts so that as we go into the back half of 2021 and beyond, we can have more repeatable monthly international revenue. A great example of these advancements is in Germany. In March, we made our first delivery to two extract customers in the region, Stata and Adverse Pharma. In Q2, not only did we deliver to those customers again, but we also delivered to two new customers in Cantorage and Demican. Of course, our reach goes beyond Germany, having already delivered to Peru in March, and we expect to deliver to Denmark, Brazil, and New Zealand before the end of the year. However, I do want to highlight that Germany alone is an extremely attractive market. It stands as the world's leading country for medical cannabis, with more than 320,000 cannabis prescriptions approved in 2020. This is a more advanced medical market than any other and is said to be growing at around 30% annually, according to Forbes. Our strategy of targeted international expansion to medical and wellness customers is gaining traction, and that will lead to higher sales in the back half of this year. Our strategy is clearly global in nature, but we are also committed to driving growth in Canada's medical and adult youth markets as part of our priority of building a profitable and sustainable business. In Canada, we continue to launch new and innovative products. Our oil portfolio continues to grow and is a staple for many adult use consumers looking for cannabis wellness options. On the innovation front, in early Q2, we launched a vapable CBN product, which is the only product of its kind in the market and gives users the ability to inhale CBN for faster onset, which is easier to titrate. 
In late Q2, we released a vapable CBD product where we saw a gap in the market, as other CBD vapes were either heavily diluted or subject to user difficulty as CBD crystallized in the competitor's purchase. These quality and innovative products will be accessed by more consumers as Medifarm officially launched in Quebec in May. Quebec is one of the leading provinces in cannabis sales, and with a more complex listing process, the product categories are not crowded as we sometimes see in other provinces. The growth in Quebec should be better reflected in Q3 and onwards as we add more SKUs and fulfill weekly shipments. We continue to see opportunity to utilize capacity as our CMO partners grow their brands, such as the expansion of Abicana's gels and topicals and the growth in Ace Valley vape products, which we now produce for canopy growth following a successful acquisition of that brand. Our sales in the domestic market are not where we want them to be. In Q2, we continue to be strained by COVID-19 restrictions at the retail level, which resulted in provincial distributors lowering inventory on hand. For the majority of Q2, the province of Ontario, which is our biggest domestic customer, still had significant COVID-19 restrictions placed on retail stores. As Medifarm is still less than 12 months into domestic retail sales, I see some immediate improvements we can make in managing provincial listings and fulfillment. This coupled with our high quality products and relaxed COVID-19 restrictions can result in near-term improvements in this sizable market. I will touch on our strategy to increase sales later in the call. Finally, we continue to add to innovation in both products and manufacturing automation. Our team of research experts have developed other rare cannabinoid formulations beyond our recently launched CBN and have innovated consumer delivery methods such as tasteless and odorless water-soluble drops. We will work with provincial distributors to sell these new products as the various provincial listing schedules permit. In automation, our engineers continue to deploy equipment already purchased to reduce the direct cost of our manufacturing. This will help improve the gross margin on our high volume SKUs, such as our cannabis oils. Currently, Medifarm branded oil ranks fourth in cannabis oil sales in Ontario. This is with double the retail price of the average oil SKU. This proves cannabis consumers are starting to recognize and are willing to pay more for high quality products. It also presents a great margin opportunity as we implement our fully funded automation. Overall, our domestic presence is still growing in revenue, but it serves as a proof of concept for our ability to provide end-to-end -end development, manufacturing, and distribution solutions for multinational pharma, CPG, and innovative health and wellness brand companies. I will now turn the call over to Greg to discuss our financial results. Thanks, Keith, and good morning, everyone. I'm pleased to report we continued to make progress with our international expansion, with international revenues increasing 24% sequentially in Q2 versus Q1. This is the second consecutive quarter with double-digit international revenue growth. In addition, we added two new customers in Germany, bringing our customer count with successful German deliveries to four. 
Germany is the largest international medical market with a market value estimated to be 7.7 billion euros by 2028, according to Forbes, and continues to be a strategic priority for Medifarm. As Keith mentioned, in Q2, we continue to experience headwinds in our domestic business driven by restricted COVID-19 lockdowns and further channel inventory reductions with provincial distributors, which caused our Canadian and overall revenue to decline sequentially. Despite COVID-19 making the first half of 2021 challenging, we continue to make progress and are optimistic that revenue will rebound post-COVID-19 lockdowns with our recent expansion into Quebec and the launch of new innovative products such as CBN oil and CBD and CBN vapes. As I said last quarter, as a management team, we are committed to growing our top line and adjusting our cost structure to return Medifarm to profitability. While we made progress in the first half of 2021, there is still work to be done. Turning to the P&L performance for the second quarter, Q2 revenues decreased 7.7% sequentially from 5.5 million in Q1 to 5.1 million in Q2. International revenues increased 24% sequentially to 2.5 million, with German revenues increasing 24% sequentially to 1.5 million, and Australian revenues increasing 30% sequentially to 0.9 million. Domestic Canadian revenues decreased 26% sequentially to 2.6 million, largely as a result of restricted COVID-19 lockdowns and further channel inventory reductions with provincial distributors, as mentioned previously. Gross profit for the quarter of negative 7.7 million was impacted by a 5.7 million inventory write-down and 0.6 million of accelerated depreciation for assets no longer in use. Adjusted for these items, gross profit of negative 1.4 million declined sequentially from negative 0.7 million in Q1. Q2 gross profit was negative and declined sequentially due to unabsorbed overhead with lower production volumes and product mix with more flour being sold to German customers with lower margins. General and administrative expenses in the quarter increased sequentially from 4.0 million in Q1 to 5.2 million in Q2, largely driven by bad debt expense for one customer, higher insurance costs, and higher freight expense for our international customers. Marketing and selling expenses in the quarter decreased sequentially from 1.3 million in Q1 to 1.1 million in Q2, driven by lower promotional activity. R&D expenses decreased sequentially from 350,000 in Q1 to 140,000 in Q2. These expenses will vary as we selectively invest to advance our capabilities and product portfolio. Other operating income increased sequentially from a 0.7 million expense in Q1 to income of 3.2 million. Q2 included 3.7 million of income from the Canadian emergency wage and rent subsidy, while Q1 did not. Finance expense decreased sequentially from 9.7 million in Q1 to 0.6 million in Q2 as a result of accelerated conversions on the convertible debenture. 
Adjusted EBITDA for Q2 was negative 3.7 million and improved sequentially from negative 6.2 million in Q2, primarily driven by income from the Canadian emergency wage and rent subsidy. Moving to a few notable items on the balance sheet. Inventory decreased from 24.2 million in Q1 to 13.7 million in Q2. This includes the inventory write-down of 5.7 million mentioned earlier. Trade and other receivables increased from 27.8 million in Q1 to 32.6 million in Q2, largely driven by the Canadian emergency wage and rent subsidy. As discussed in previous quarters, there are two customers owing a total of approximately 19 million, including 8.5 million, which is subject to legal proceedings that we have previously disclosed and remain confident in its collection. The remainder of the 19 million is due from a second customer and we are confident in its collectability. Adjusting for these two customers and the wage and rent subsidy, trade and other receivables is 10.2 million. The current tax receivable of 4.3 million is a refund from 2020 that we expect to collect in Q3 and will further improve our cash position. Finally, our cash balance at June 30th was 38.9 million, which decreased from 42.1 million at March 31. The cash balance decreased 3.2 million, largely driven by operating activities. Capital expenditures were modest at approximately 180,000 for the quarter. Year-to-date, capital expenditures are 460000 as we continue to manage and prioritize select capital investments to expand the business. The cash balance owing on the convertible debenture stood at approximately $2 million at the end of June, which is due to be repaid in September and October. While we made progress in the quarter by expanding our international presence and revenue and managing our cash consumption, we still have work to do to return the business to profitability and drive positive cash flow. With that, I'll turn it back to Keith. Thanks, Greg. This morning, we were also very excited to announce the appointment of Chris Taves as chair of our board, effective immediately. Chris joined our board in July 2020 and has applied his leadership in many areas, including as chair of our audit committee and providing guidance to our successful March 2021 financing. Chris is a financial industry expert serving as Chief Operating Officer of BMO Capital Markets, one of the largest banks in North America. He also served as a board member of BMO China Co. and First Mortgage General Partnership. I would like to pass the call to Chris to introduce himself and discuss our board priorities. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate the board's confidence in me to oversee the leadership of Metafarm as it executes on its strategy to be a leader in supply of cannabis-based drugs and API to pharmaceutical companies around the world. In my career at BMO Capital Markets and prior, I have worked with many public companies, including those with cannabis and pharma specialties. With Metafarm, I see an incredible growth opportunity as the pharmaceutical industry is just scratching the surface when it comes to accessing the therapeutic benefits of cannabinoids in drugs with marketing authorization. Metafarm's recent drug establishment license is a huge endorsement that it will be a go-to supplier for big pharma cannabis market entrants. 
One of the board's current initiatives is the appointment of a permanent CEO. To date, we have had significant interest from candidates across North America and have been interviewing strong candidates. Meeting with these individuals has assisted us in perfectly defining the right person for the job. Since we started this task, Metafarm has made great progress in international sales and specialized pharmaceutical licensing. Developments like these in a fast-moving industry have helped us refine the experience and expertise in the criteria for our permanent CEO. Our selection process continues to progress and we are confident we will appoint the perfect candidate for this role and the exciting future of Metafarm. And in the interim, the current management team has the full confidence of the board to execute on the company vision and to drive growth. Keith, back to you. Thanks, Chris. I want to thank you for taking on this role and providing your experienced leadership at such a pivotal point in our business. I will now provide some final thoughts on our outlook and strategic plan to increase revenue. There's a lot of opportunity for increased sales in Canada and internationally. Based on our fully built and funded manufacturing platform, we can increase revenue significantly without further capital investments. Activities are already underway to achieve this goal. These strategic revenue goals have three main focuses. One, investment into more sales resources. Domestically, we have increased our sales team by almost doubling our retail sales reps subsequent to quarter close. With more ongoing ramp up of the innovative products we offer to the market, we can make great use of this newly scaled sales force. Internationally, we are putting more boots on the ground in growing markets. In August, we had one of our top international business development associates relocate to Frankfurt, Germany. And in September, we have our first personnel in Mexico starting with us to expand our reach in LATAM. As our area of highest growth so far this year, having in-country sales and business development representation will add to our growing international revenue opportunity. Two, expanding contract manufacturing. Providing partners with access to the highest quality cannabis manufacturing platform to deliver them cost savings and international reach. For example, here in Canada, just last week, we started a GMP tolling contract for one of the world's biggest cannabis companies. On the international front, we have continued to add to the private label services provided out of Medifarm Labs, Australia. Three, continued innovation. Internationally, there is a lot of white space when it comes to innovation. Just like in the established adult use markets, such as Canada or legal U.S. states, many international patients are seeking new formulations and delivery methods. The barrier is usually making one of these popular formats in a GMP-compliant way. Medifarm has just the expert team to assess and meet that challenge. Domestically, as cannabis categories become crowded and distributors scale back product listings, innovation is the sure way to get product on the shelf and increase sales. We saw this recently with Vapeful, CBN, and CBD products, and we'll use the same approach going forward to get more product on the shelf with retailers. In the pharmaceutical space, our R&D is more complex as pharma customers will seek API suppliers who have filed their active ingredients with the FDA. 
These filings take in-depth characterization of substances with very tight specifications. This is an area where we will increase efforts to remain ahead of the competition. Overall, Q2 was a productive quarter with the accomplishment of our drug establishment license and further global market penetration for our products. 2021 is a year where progress will occur as we gain traction with our priorities and create a MediFarm that I know will deliver tangible value for customers and shareholders. In my opinion, our current market cap does not reflect the value of our very unique pharmaceutical licenses and strategies, making MediFarm a great investment opportunity. As one of the founders of MediFarm, I can tell you that since day one, we had a vision to be a pharmaceutical company specialized in cannabis, providing companies and patients with API and drugs through traditional marketing authorization, as opposed to being just another cannabis company who distributes to non-federally regulated or special access medical programs. Having achieved our drug establishment license in Q2, I can confidently say we have reached that goal. This will result in many positive business outcomes for Medifarm and its shareholders. I cannot wait to show you what we will do next. Now, operator, can you please open the lines for questions from our callers? Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, if you would like to ask an audio question, please press star, then number one on your telephone keypad. Once again, that is star, then number one for any audio questions. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Our first question comes from the line of Aaron Gray, Alliance Global Partners. Hi, good morning. Uh, thank you for the questions and congrats, congratulations on the uh, drug establishment license. So, um, you know, first question for me, I'd like to just kind of talk about the license and, you know, maybe in terms of the timing, you know, where you see the opportunity. So, you know, certainly seems that you guys have a, a differentiated the strategy there than maybe some of the other, you know, cannabis plays. But, you know, we talk a lot about the potential API that this can now allow for you guys in terms of big pharma. Could you maybe elaborate maybe on some of the conversations that, that you've had with pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies to provide that type of API. You know, right now, you know, there's such, you know, drugs like uh, Evodilex and Marinol out there. So, you know, how do you see in terms of the timing of that license eventually translating into revenue? Is it more of a, a near term or maybe two, three years out there? Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate you uh, calling in this morning. It's a great question. Um, our drug establishment license does truly differentiate us in many ways and does bring like both near-term and long-term opportunities. I think on the near-term, what we're looking at is, is um, more international sales. Like so where we saw the 24% growth quarter over quarter uh, in the international sales, this helps us. Uh, as part of those like complex uh, registration processes and export processes around um, special access programs that are opening up and it seems like you know, every couple of weeks you see a new country that, that's going to try something. I think those health authorities are looking for a GMP solution uh, and sometimes just didn't have one because they didn't exist. So there, there's some near-term opportunities there for sure that will keep seeing that international growth. I think you nailed it on, on what the long-term opportunity is, is really that API provider for um, drugs that have marketing authorization. So we've seen the, you know, the great success of uh, the effects of Epidiolex, um, you know, if you look at their annual run rate in the U.S. of Epidiolex sales being over $600 uh, million U.S. a year, 
Um, you could imagine that most generic companies are looking at that as an opportunity. Um, and with those, you know, they're already starting the development process. So there are, you know, multiple generic companies that are looking at it, the development process, but that is long-term. So just to kind of create, you know, uh, a timeline on that, the, there's a lot of patents on that product. It could take up till, you know, 2025, 2026 to really enter the market with the generic. But when they do, uh, you know, generics sometimes make up 30, 40% of a market share. So there is a massive opportunity. There's other drugs, you know, like, as you mentioned, Marinol in, the, in, um, in Germany, it's referred to as Dronabinol, uh, which Dronabinol is still one of the main um, concentrates sold in Germany. So we can participate that right away as those products are, are off patent, might not be, you know, as massive an op API opportunity for some of those generic drug companies, but there is an opportunity there. So, um, yeah, to summarize, there's, there's, there's near-term, um, you know, material growth that does make a difference to our revenue today, and then the long term is, you know, limitless in where we can go. I appreciate that comment, Keith. That's, that's really helpful. Um, you know, second question for me, um, you know, turning to the domestic market in Canada. You talk about, you know, kind of finding gaps in the marketplace, um, you know, certainly being some provincial buyers who are really taking a focus on that in terms of, you know, new products that they'll take in. But just an overall question in terms of, you know, as you're kind of looking for these gaps in the market, you know, how do you look at, you know, the potential ROI in terms of, um, you know, the effort, you know, and CapEx needed to kind of maybe ramp up production of that product versus, you know, how big a market share of, you know, maybe that gap in the market might be, you know, how many other interests might come in. I would just, you know, like to get some further commentary from you guys in terms of the ROI and different things you're looking at as you look to find gaps in the market and then decide whether or not you guys would be in an opportune position to try and fill that gap. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. And Canada continues to be, you know, a focus that we're looking to increase in that retail uh, space. As, as I mentioned, there's there's a big opportunity there. Um, any product that we do, we're obviously looking at it from uh, an ROI perspective to make sure that, you know, it is uh, a creative to the bottom line. But um, really what we're looking at in innovation is, you know, the, the Canadian space, there are some, there are some large, uh, you know, players in there that have spent you know, a lot of money on their retail, uh, whether they're, you know, have ownership in a retail platform or they have like a, a massive retail sales group. I don't think that we're, you know, looking to go head to head with a lot of those in some of the, you know, big categories. But what we can do is we can own, you know, niches where there is innovation because we have such uh, a strong team. So, Really, for us, it's, uh, you know, things like that CBN base, where we're the only ones who make it, uh, or that CBD base that doesn't crystallize. That's where we see that. So, in the future, we're looking at other formulations that would be, you know, minor cannabinoid base, you know, something like a CBG, which you can find in the U.S. today, but not yet in Canada, um, is, is probably a good spot where we could be, and then, you know, what different formats we could do. So looking at, you know, there's, there are some water-soluble products in the market today, but some, most of them are low potency, so how could we maybe make, like, a, a higher potency water-soluble product for, for consumers? So there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of opportunity there and a lot of ROI, and, and we're really focused on those niches of, of innovation. And what that really also helps for us that is, um, that's important is, we are, you know, using this as a platform, as like a proof of concept 
for our big pharma and CPG customers current and in the future. So as we, you know, let's say Stata would like to launch like a CBN or a CBG to their massive patient base, uh, we're able to show, you know, that not only could we formulate it, bottle it, and, and kind of some, um, you know, small scale response from consumers and patients. So it really gives us that kind of proof of concept platform that really does build into that more future opportunity. Okay, great. Thanks, Sako. And then just last one for me, if I could. Um, just for Germany then, right? So as we look to potentially, you know, see a bigger ramp in the overall market, you know, once some of these, you know, COVID bottlenecks, you know, ease, could you talk about whether or not on your guys' end, you know, there's there's any types of bottlenecks um, in terms of getting supply or, or getting the product out there, you know, for Stott or any of your partners, um, or if it's more of just like <clears throat> a demand and curtain and current COVID dynamics there, right? So if the demand kind of comes up and you see more prescriptions, you know, being issued in Germany, do you guys have all the capabilities to fulfill that demand uh, in the back half or through 2022? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I, no bottlenecks on our side on, let's say, the delivery and the fulfillment. Uh, we have no problem um, making uh, those products. And really, now that we have this drug establishment license, it does help with the process as far as, you know, even the supply chain, whether we make it in Canada or we make it in Australia, it starts to give us a lot of options. Where, the, where there is the bottleneck, and you know, we saw in Q1 we had two customers, in Q2 we had four customers, um, and then we'll see that grow at that kind of rate. Where the bottleneck is is more on the registration side. So as I mentioned in the call, um, you know, when there's a new narcotic product, so when we onboard um, like a German customer, they have to go to B Farm, which is like the, the FDA of Germany, and then they register that product through a narcotic submission with B Farm. That process could take anywhere from three to six months, and then once it's registered, we're able to apply for import and export authorization. So there is kind of a bottleneck um, on new products, but once the channel is open, we're able to get a, a good cadence. I don't think that we have any problem with demand. The demand keeps going up. And really right now, we're the only really private label option in a place like Germany. So where we see our competitors in Germany, it's with, uh, you know, with their own branded products. So, you know, like let's say Tilray, we have Tilray oil in Germany. So as we see more and more entrants like, you know, Stata and our partners at Adrex or even, uh, you know, Demicam, where they're looking to outsource it, uh, we're really one of the only options. And now, you know, we're probably the best as far as quality, license, and experience of getting to the market. So I think we'll continue to see demand and many farms prepared and uh, well-capitalized and uh, well-resourced to meet that demand. All right, great. Thanks for the call, and I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question will come from the line of Scott Fortune with Roth Capital Partners. Good morning, and thanks for the for the questions. Um, real quick housekeeping call: Where is the inventory sitting at now? At 13.7 million after kind of the inventory write-off, and, and at what type of cost um, does this inventory uh, include? And just want to get a sense as as we look at gross margins going forward from from this point, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, thanks for the question. So, yeah, with the inventory um, being uh, more right-sized now with some of the adjustments that we made sitting at $13 million, 
you know, there's uh, 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 five million-ish in, as we said, in raw material, which is primarily flour that we use for extraction. Uh, and then the bulk of the rest is in finished or semi-finished uh, product, which again, some of that, uh, w what's in there, which is new in the last couple quarters, is finished good uh, flour that we sell for sale purposes or end consumption um, within Germany. Uh, obviously, this is you know inventory we're we're tracking very closely. As you can see, we're trying to manage it down as we we improve our cash position and get um, better cadence here with demand both from the provinces and internationally. And we'll continue to focus focus on uh, managing our inventory to to help improve cash. Okay, I appreciate the color. And then. Uh Focusing on kind of the EU or international side, Keith, you, you called out new product formats uh, on the GMP compliant side of things, and the timing of maybe new derivative products being being approved for for use in Germany, and then from your SKUs and, and product portfolio, what what's being in demand and the opportunity to um, increase different SKUs or, or products in, into Germany as we look out to the second half and into 2022 here. Yeah, thanks. It's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, in, in, as you look at, like, U.S. states and Canada, popular formats, things like, like, a, like a vape pen or uh, like a water-soluble that you can put into a, into a drink easier or something like that as far as, like, a patient use goes uh, for patients is really a great opportunity. Even, you know, well-developed medical programs such as the one in Australia uh, right now really dry flour oil are the only choices for them. The, the reason why this has happened to date is you need to do it as a GMP product. So doing like a, an oral solution uh, as a GMP product is something that, uh, you know, there's some systems already in place because there's oral solutions for other drugs. But when you look at something like a vape pen, uh, GMP in a vape pen becomes very uh, complex as, you know, it, you have to take in consideration the hardware and, and the stability of something in the vape pen. Like, Nothing, and we've got these um, new recreational markets that are so nascent. I don't think a lot of those studies have been done, so we're doing those now. Um, that registration process will probably take another, you know, three to six months, so it's probably more of a 2022 opportunity as far as, let's say, something like a GMP vape friend, but uh, we might be able to achieve that, you know, late this year, early next year. But uh, the development is, is starting today, and, and we've just, you know, in, in the first part of this year, kind of gauging customer interest and patient interest and kind of the ability to, to source all of those GMP uh, suppliers for that supply chain. That's great. I appreciate it. And then focusing back on Canada, kind of the growth in the second half here as, as we open a little bit, are you seeing consolidation, more consolidation here, or, or where is the growth going to come from, um, more pick up in, in the 2.0 um, expansion in that category, and, and then what are you seeing from, from the LP front side of things? Are they looking to outsource now more potentially um, kind of in, in this environment? Kind of just thoughts on, on how we beat second, stronger second half growth in, in Canada for you guys. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, we'll continue to sell, you know, our quality and innovative products, uh, branded products at the store level. And I think, uh, as I mentioned, we've, you know, just subsequent to quarter close, we've increased uh, our sales team there uh, and some of our resources on the retail efforts. So we could see some incremental growth there. But, you know, since we do 
participate in some of the smaller categories. You know, we're, that's more of an incremental uh, growth point in the back here, uh, back half of this year. I think where you mentioned where we see also a lot of uh, opportunity is kind of these B2B services coming back. So 2019, 2020, uh, a lot of our business was B2B. Uh, and now we're seeing, you know, some of that come back um, as far as, you know, some of the big licensed producers that have great brands, great marketing, uh, really need some help there. And then what's really great is now that we have this drug establishment license and it's, um, you know, we're the only one in North America who have this drug establishment license for the extraction of cannabinoids, large licensed producers uh, are coming to us to do GMP uh, type services, whether that's tolling or using uh, material that we source. We can do, we can make them like a GMP um, API or a GMP concentrate so that they can put that into their pipeline uh, internationally. And we've already started doing some of those activities just as recently as August. So we'll see a good pickup in, you know, some of our B2B uh, tolling services with that. I yeah, appreciate the call. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'll jump back in into the queue. Thanks, Doug. Our next question will come from the line of Natalia Cochran with Scotiabank. Hi there. Uh, thanks for the color on international. And I have some questions on the Canadian side. So uh, from the perspective of the provinces, can you give some color what you're seeing now? Are things improving compared to uh, uh, the restrictions that we've had so far? Are things uh, opening up and provinces uh, ordering more? And the second part of the question is, is the margin side. So can you uh, give some color on are the margins expected to improve or at, at what sales velocity will you like break even on the profit uh, gross margin? So if you can give some color on that. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Natalia. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning. I'll I'll provide a little bit of color on the on the provinces, and I'll hand it over to Greg to talk about the the, the plans for their margin improvement. So on, on the provincial side, we are seeing some some encouraging demand signals. Um, the province of Ontario, being our biggest domestic buyer, um, you know, continues to open more retail stores uh, with the um, restrictions being lifted. Um, you know, June, July, as far as people being able to shop in stores again, because we do have, you know, that, that high quality wellness brand. It is, you know, something that helps for sales in, in brick and mortar as someone might go in for flour and then see, uh, you know, a CBD or CBN oil that they want to try. So that, that does really help us as far as the demand signals go. Where, um, you know, we're waiting to see is if, um, provinces will pick up inventory again, uh, like the distributors will pick up inventory like we saw uh, in the last bit of 2020. So what we've seen, you know, to date of 2021 is distributors lower their inventory on hand um, to more of like a just-in-time ordering to get it out to, to retailers probably, you know, to, because of the uncertainty around COVID-19. Now that uncertainty is away, we, we hope to see them you know, pick up that uh, inventory again, which will add for, you know, smoother and, and more uh, deliveries on our end. But we, you know, we're still waiting to see uh, how that uh, how that plays out. And uh, I think that the provinces have done a good job now of kind of looking at consumer demand. I think in um, in Ontario specifically, they're, they're changing the product call system and how they work with 
licensed producers on what products they take in and what products they list and when they list them. Uh, and I think given our longer relationship uh, with the provinces, that will that will bode well for, for many farms as well. So I'll hand over to Greg also talk about the, the margin. Yeah, thanks, Keith. So, yeah, the growth margin, as I said uh, prior quarters, we, we do see a path back here to uh, not only just profitable on, on the gross margin side, but EBITDA profitability. And, and there's a couple different aspects where we're focused that are going to drive that. Uh, you know, one, as Keith mentioned in his prepared remarks, is around automation, which we continue to uh, bring into our production facilities, which will obviously uh, enhance our cost position. The other one with the international expansion, which is why we're so pleased to see the, the sequential growth. Um, there's obviously higher pricing and, and better profitability in the international market, so, so that will continue. The other one, is, as I mentioned, with uh, some of our flower sales into the international market where we did have some lower margin this quarter impacting us, uh, the team is actively working on, on improving that margin and we expect to see some improvement there um, in the future. And then as well as the international market with some mixed change as it moves into different products and potentially away from flour into oil should help. And then the last two I, I would mention is one, the volume, as I said in my remarks, was, was challenging in the domestic market within Canada. So as Keith talked about, as we expect to see that improvement and volume goes up, that, that helps us significantly in our, in our manufacturing. And then finally, with some of the new products that Keith had talked about, with some of the new innovative products where we can, we can get uh, higher margin on, on those as well. So, so those are all the different factors that are going to contribute uh, in the future as we see getting back to a positive growth margin, gross margin. Uh, sounds great. Thanks. That's all from my side. That's awesome. Thank you, Ty. Your next question will come from the line of Tammy Chen with BMO Capital Markets. Good morning. Thanks for the question. Um, uh, I wanted to ask uh, about uh, Germany. Um, can you speak a bit about the evolving competitive landscape there? Because I think I've noticed a couple of the other Canadian licensed producers that participate in that market have recently mentioned that the comp competitive level has increased in that market. So if you could talk a bit about that and how the relationship with Stata has been evolving with respect to your penetration of Germany. Yeah. All right, Tammy, thanks for joining us. I think, you know, everyone sees that a great opportunity in Germany and will continue to see new entrants uh, into that space. I think uh, to date we haven't been really hindered by competition, especially on the, on the concentrate side, as there's, you know, still uh, products to be registered there. So I think that there's, there's still opportunity. I think we hear some more companies going into that space and some more investment into that space. Um, but really, I think it's also being paced with new patients. So every month, if you look at, you know, some of the data coming out of Germany as far as um, um, coverage by the national insurer, I think we're getting more and more patients, um, you know, that are, are looking to, to medical cannabis. So as more people come in, there's, there's also more patients there. So there's nothing, um, there's nothing there that we really, uh, that we see as a, a near-term really competitive. But, you know, we'll, we continue to work with our partners there, especially Stata, to kind of look at that landscape and, and, you know, look at our pricing to make sure that we don't get 
you know, priced out of out of the market and, and things like that. So it is something that, that we're looking at. But, um, you know, it's encouraging to see everyone else wanting to come to Germany because obviously they see what we see uh, in the great opportunity there. The, the staff relationship is um, progressing nicely. As we mentioned, you know, we made our, our second delivery uh, to them on the oil side from Australia in Q2. Uh, we continue to provide them with flour as a value-add service. Uh, and as Greg mentioned, we think that we can improve our margin on that value-add service. Uh, but we've made multiple uh, deliveries from Canada uh, to, um, to Germany for that flour supply. So it really is ramping up. I think as a, as a large uh, multinational company, they are um, pretty, you know, um, cautiously moving forward on product launches. So their trajectory is one that's uh, a bit more conservative as they add in more patients. But what they're adding in on the patient side is probably more sticky than you would see in some of their competitors. So. Their focus, and, and I believe it's a great one, is that they're you know, going to, to the patient level for education to make sure that they, they get those patients and then they keep the patients no matter what cannabis solution they're looking for for that therapeutic benefit, whereas some of the other um, you know, companies in Germany are really focused on, let's say, uh, pharmacists that have a high sell-through of cannabis, so then they're, they're loading in those pharmacies. So I think that the Stata approach well, a little bit slower to start, has a longer staying power, and we'll see more and more great results and the ability to uh, put patients into new formulations or, or um, product delivery methods uh, in the future as well. So we're really happy with the progress there. Got it. Oh, that's interesting on the uh, going to their patient level. Okay. Um, and then last question for me is a bit of a clarification. Um, the drug establishment license, uh, sorry, did you say that um, uh, you are working on, over the next several months, um, some sort of registrations or filings with the FDA for APIs, and that only once you have that, then the long-term vision of supplying APIs to pharma companies um, can happen? Like, is that the next step that you have to do um, to kind of finish that path uh, on top of the drug establishment license. I wasn't clear if you could clarify that. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. The, the drug establishment license is, you know, very, uh, very unique in, in our industry, but, you know, not unique in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. And there is a number of other steps that we could take to work uh, with it. So the long-term strategy of, of working with, uh, you know, a major pharmaceutical company on, you know, the launch of a new drug containing cannabis or a launch of a generic drug containing cannabis is well underway. And there's a lot of steps that we could do today uh, that we are doing today to achieve that. There is uh, a portion of, you know, one of the tricks. So if you, if you register a new drug, uh, you'd go through in the, in the United States, you go through a, a new drug uh, application uh, process. And in that process, you don't need to have necessarily the API registered as you're registering the entire drug. So we could provide our customer with the API in that case uh, while concurrently doing these FDA filings. If you're doing an abbreviated drug application, which is a generic drug application with the FDA, they would be looking uh, for you to be using an API that does have a drug master file already on file with the FDA. 
So it's an important step for us to do, and it's something that Many farms are actively working on, so we will go through the process of registering our APIs uh, with not only the FDA but Health Canada and the EMA, the European Medicines Agency. So that way, wherever our customers need uh, an API in the pharmaceutical space, they could go uh, to those databases to validate that those APIs will work in their uh, final drugs. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.